Uh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Gary Phillips to come up, and uh, he is the Central Africa, Africa Director for MANA Worldwide, which is a nonprofit Christian organization, and uh, they uh, work on um, helping uh, kids, uh, particularly uh, in uh, feeding centers mainly, uh, sometimes associated like, like with us, the partnership with us, it's with a school and with the church, and and uh, so they've got 140 or more of those going on around the world in uh, 40 or more countries. And, uh, you know, Gary has, has, has been our contact then for what's going on there. He and Tom went to Zambia, have visited Nakande. Uh, he's been back there uh, even since Tom went with him. He has, uh, has a bachelor's, master's degree from uh, Baptist Bible College in Springfield. He was a missionary, 28 years in the Philippines, a senior pastor at Life Point Church for six years, uh, three years. He's been with MANA Worldwide now for over six years. So if you're going to be praying for Gary as he comes to break the word to us, will you just give him a hand clap? Well, good morning. I survived Tom and John. If you know John Farr, you understand what I'm saying. You know Tom, you understand what I'm saying. But we had a great t- I had a great time in both occasions. Um, got to know these good men of the Lord, and I'm glad John's here. It's a God thing that uh, brought him here uh, today to be a part of this service. We uh, just seems like it was yesterday that we were fighting immigration in Kenya and Tanzania and Zambia and all of that uh, stuff. What a, what a trip. They, him and his companion, missions, his missions pastor there in Colorado, got delayed in England. And I was already in Kenya. Kenya, I'd spent a week in Kenya to visit our feeding center there. And so I traveled through Tanzania to Zambia by myself, arrived in the little airport uh, where uh, Pastor McDonald and his companion were to pick were supposed to pick me up. Now this airport is out in the middle of nowhere. Sorry, sorry about that. And uh, it's it just there's no the city is quite a distance away from the airport, and all you see is mountains in the area and nothing else. I mean nothing. So I get outside, and all these cars are out, out there, and people are getting in the cars, and pretty soon all the cars are gone. All the passengers are gone. Just, they're building a new airport, the Chinese are, and they were working, and pretty soon, and here I am with my stuff, and I'm saying, it, it's, it's not good, folks. Not good. And there's no way to communicate because they don't have Tanzanian uh, phone service. And so I have no idea where they're at. I have no idea what... We're in Africa, remember. And, and so the, finally the head security guy comes and, and he's got broken English and he goes, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm supposed to be picked up from guys from Nakonde and it's a two-hour two-hour car ride, and, and, and I'm on the phone trying to figure out if there's a place I can get to, to stay to spend the night. Still don't know how I'm going to communicate. I'm five minutes away from hitting to pay for a hotel, 45 minutes away from the airport. It's a couple hours. They were delayed a couple hours, and, and I'm, I'm saying this, God, what are you doing? 
here I have come here to, to be of service and you have put me in this situation and I have no idea what's going to happen. Finally, and the gate's a long way away and the head security guy goes, I think that's your people. And I, I'm wondering, how does he know the tag? He could tell that it wasn't a Tanzanian tag. And sure enough, it was them. And man, I was, I was as happy to see them as I usually am to see my wife on a lo- after a long trip. But I did not kiss them as I would my wife. But uh, we had a great time. Uh, We picked them up the next day and got them there and visited some schools and spent some time with some kids and some adults and saw some lives changed and some good, good stuff that God did uh, during that trip. Then we decided to come home and someone decided that he didn't want to leave and that's John. And it's two hours back. And we're late. Our driver got us there an hour and a half. Now, just imagine an hour and a half drive in Africa. It's supposed to have been a two-hour drive in Africa. We were dodging cars and bicycles and animals and praying a lot. We got real spiritual real quick. Uh, But we made it. And we made it home and... uh, Praise the Lord. John is the one who put that video together and spent a lot of time, uh, he and his son, I believe, and it's really good to see Pastor Mwanza here. Uh, We brought him out of retirement to come and help us. There was a leadership failure there uh, in the school, um, and he was so generous and came and has done a fantastic job. Uh, you would be proud of what has happened in the last year since Tom and I were there and the changes, not just in the facility, but which you have graciously paid for, and thank you very much for that, but in the attitude and the, and the spirit of the kids and the staff. Um, so, so different, like night and day. So praise the Lord. And I hope, I hope that you will decide to go and visit uh, Zambia, and you will be blessed and pleased with what's happening there and being encouraged and continue to give. Second Kings chapter 7 is where we're at today, and let me give you the context. Uh, after Solomon passed, Rehoboam took over the kingship, and he listened to the wrong counsel, and he decided to, to burden the people of Israel even greater than his father did, and added taxes to them, and they just had enough. I think we understand that feeling. Just had enough. So, ten tribes of the north revolted and separated from two tribes in the south. One's called Israel, the other's called Judah. When you read your Bible, and it starts to a little bit confusing... Just get the timeline, and that's what, hap- that's what happened. And, God, and there weren't any good kings in the northern kingdom. And they built temples instead of going to Jerusalem. They didn't want their people going south to Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom. So they built temples in, I think, five cities. And they said, just go there. Well, the problem was that wasn't God's will for them to do. So God sent preachers, prophets, 
And God sent punishment, two by fours, in the name of Syria, the Syrian army, and tried to get their attention. And every time, they just, they would repent and then they would go back to their sinning ways. So God sent the Syrian army. They have surrounded the city of Samaria. And the king is angry now. Even though the prophet has saved his life on a number of occasions by warning him of traps. He's angry and he's looking for the head of the prophet. He's look, it's, not, it's not preacher appreciation time in Samaria. I can tell you that. No, he's trying to chop off his head. And the prophet knows it because God has revealed it to him. So we pick it up where the prophet is speaking to the king and to the people and giving them a prophecy of good things that is going to happen. In verse 1, he says, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. What he's saying is food's going to be cheap. Now keep in mind, there really isn't any food at this time. So when it's supply and demand, when there's no supply, the prices go up, right? So he's saying, look, it's going to be cheap and there's going to be plenty. That's the word of God. Now, this story is not about Samaria, it's not about the king, it's not about the prophet, it's not about the four lepers. This story is about God and His Word, and whether or not we trust His Word, and whether or not we are obedient to His Word. That's what it's all about. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? There's a lot of sarcasm there and unbelief. And he said, Behold, the prophet, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here till we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city. We shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. <laughs> Life choices, right? Kind of dark, kind of tough. Now therefore come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but what? Die. Not really good choices. And in fact, I think what they were doing was they were going, which is the least painful way we're going to die? And it was with the enemy. And so they decided to go, verse 5, And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites. That's the northern kingdom north of Israel and the kings of the Egyptians they came from they would come from the south and this was something that has been done they did hire Egyptians they did hire other always always listen to this it, it's a minor point you didn't pay for it that's a joke 
Any time Israel and the leadership of Israel chose to go to Egypt or to other places to get help for their trouble, it was always against God's will. They were God's people. And God wanted them to rely and have faith in Him to take care of their troubles, not the ungodly, heathen Egyptians. Every time. And when you read the Bible, it's always they, they went down, they went down, they went down. Egypt is a type of the world. And when we go to the world to solve our problems, whether it be personal, whether it be national, it doesn't matter. It, was, it will always cause more problems. So they, so they thought, okay, they've been, they've been hired. We hear these armies. Wherefore, verse 7, they arose and fled in the twilight. They panicked, man, and they left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried that silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered in another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. <laughs> this is the best day of their life. They've hit, they've hit it, man. They've hit the lottery. They've, they have, in every way, food, drink, clothes, Gold, silver, and my question has always been, did they make a treasure map? How were they going to come back and get all that stuff? And they're doing this, and you can just see them going from tent to tent, and they're giddy and laughing and having a great time. They're drinking wine, they're eating, they're stuffing their faces. They haven't eaten. They were hungry. They are sickly men. They are, they, they, they haven't, they're unhealthy. All of this goes into the context here. And finally, I can just imagine it. There's a campfire going, and they finally settle down, and they're wore out. Their bellies are full, and they're probably a little bit drunk, and they're sitting around, and finally one of them, it dawns on them. Look what he says. Verse 9, And they said one to another, We do not well. And I, I'm sure one of them popped up and looked at him and goes, What are you talking about, man? This is the... Best day of my life. I've never had this before. Are you kidding me? But he was right. And folks, that's a picture of us in America. The materialism. The selfishness. We are going to and fro and in the tents and we're hiding our stuff and we're getting and getting and getting. Stuffing our faces. Boy, we did yesterday. Oh, my word. I love mission conferences, except for the fact that you always put on about 10 pounds every time. And remember, you got one in 30 years. We get them on a regular basis. So please don't criticize missionaries when they walk in here fat. It's your fault. You make us this way. I'm just saying. Truth this morning. Just truth. We do not well. What is he talking about this day? is a day of good tidings. We call it the gospel. Good news. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And they did. 
and they saved the city from starvation. That this story would have been different had they said something else. And I want to give you four things that they could have said instead of, we do not well. Instead of going and telling the king, they could have said, number one, it's not our responsibility. We're lepers. It's the king's responsibility to save the city. Let him send emissaries out here. Let them figure it out that the Syrians are gone. That's not our responsibility. They might have even said, you know what, that prophet that we heard about, let him tell the king about what's going on. Well, he did in a, in a way, right? Let the pastor take care of it. You know what I think is one of the biggest shames for believers? I'm talking about mature believers or people who should be mature. Is to have a loved one that you want to win to Christ and you have to bring them to the pastor to do it. There is not any greater privilege than to lead someone to Jesus Christ. None. Learn how. And take the responsibility that every follower of Jesus Christ has. I'm the eldest of four kids, and I really grew up hating the word, you're responsible. Because I heard it a lot. Uh, probably more than I should have. I mean, my mom and dad were in ministry. My, my, I'll tell you a little bit about my mom and dad later on, but uh, uh, they would go and do ministry stuff when I was young, and I had to take care of my siblings, and and it was unfair, really unfair. I had to grow up pretty quick. And that word responsible was ingrained in me. How many older, the oldest children, we, you, 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 do I have a witness this morning? Yeah, yeah, you, you get it. You understand what I'm saying. We have a responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That wasn't given to full-time Bible college taught ministers. In fact, it's just the opposite, really. When you study the New Testament, you find that the purpose of the pastor and the pastoral staff is to train you to do the work of the ministry. Well, that's a weird concept. It's biblical. That might be why it's weird. Because sometimes we don't get it right biblically. We've been taught that there's clergy and laity. I hate those two words. That's not biblical. It's just different offices and different responsibilities. But the pastor is here to train you to do the work of the ministry. And one of the, the, the discipleship begins with preaching the gospel and then it carries on into bringing them up in the, the nurture of Christ. We've been commissioned by Christ. We have the great commission and we have uh, the great commandment and those two things go together. The great commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. The great commission is to love God and love one another. Love God and love one another. Now listen, if you love God... You want to please God. 
If you want to please God, then that means you're going to carry out the Great Commission. Because there's nothing more that we could do to please God than just obey His commission on our lives. Number two, they could have said, we are not capable. We're not capable. We're just lepers. How are we going? They're not going to listen to us. They're not going to... They're not going to believe us. And in fact, they really didn't believe them. They thought it was a trap. And so they sent out some emissaries. But someone said, you know what? It may be, they may be telling the truth. We need to find out, man. This, things are bad here. And then they found out. Who's going to believe them? See, manna, one of the things I love about manna when we were missionaries, we had two projects, feeding centers in Manila. So we knew about manna. In fact, Bruce O'Neill, who is the founder of and just recently retired from CEO, but we, we knew each other. We were fellow missionaries before manna was even thought of. So I, I've been a part of it a long time. And manna is just simply a tool that missionaries and nationals use to reach into communities and share, be the hands and feet of Jesus to get and gain the right to share the gospel. Uh, And all of us can be a part of that. We can all be used of God in that way. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day. God God used a stutter. Remember? Moses? God? Our, our worship leader at our church recently came on, young man. When he sings, n- not a stutter, but when he starts to speak, he stutters. It's amazing, isn't it? When he's singing leading praises, you can't tell that God's using him. God used a harlot. A harlot is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. God used a, a shepherd boy. Shepherds were the lowliest of all, uh, all labor. Nobody wanted to be the shepherd. You know why? Sheep are dumb and they stink. And we're all sheep. Just saying. Just saying. But praise God, we have the great shepherd who guides us and protects us and takes care of us and gives us what we, what we need. God used a persecutor, a hater of the church, the man Paul. He was going around arresting people and even bringing them to death sentences. He hated the church. He hated Christ. Until Christ got a hold of him and said, hey, you know the one that you hate? Because you see, Paul hated him because the Old Testament says, cursed is the man that hangeth on a tree. And Paul could not come to terms with the idea that God could be cursed until he understood the curse was mine. The curse was yours. Jesus took our curse on that tree. And then it clicked and Paul became the greatest missionary the gospel has ever produced other than Jesus Christ. So what's the key here? 
If God can use me, how, how does that happen? Well, you just need to surrender. You just need to say, God, I, you, you've got me. Here I am. I did that when I was nine years old. My dad was a preacher, and he thought, he discouraged me, actually. He, he thought I was just doing it because he was a preacher. And, but no, I knew. I knew, from, I knew it at an early age. And I'm grateful that, for the most part, I've been in the center and the will of God. And I'm not saying that as a, a brag. I'm, I'm saying that as to tell you that it's possible. We, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can fulfill God's purpose in your life if you will just surrender to that purpose and to that will and say, God, I'm going to go wherever you send me. It may be to your business. It may be to your neighborhood. It may be to a, 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 chi- a children's class. It may be to a Awanas. I don't know. God knows. And when it's time, God will reveal it to you. Every day, surrender to God's will for that day and whatever it is, and God will take care of the rest. You're capable. God can use every one of us. And just... Just for a practical thing, 20% of the world live on $1 a day. 30% of the world lives on $2 a day. You know what? You can give a dollar a day to feed a kid. That's what it costs in manna, a dollar a day. I think, it's, I think that's what it costs for you to sponsor a child in the school, in the Kunde. dollar a day. That's not hard. We're capable. It's just a matter of doing it. Number three, they could have said... It's not as bad as they say. They're sitting around the fire, man. Their bellies are full, and they're thinking about it. And one says, we do not well, man. We need to go and tell them. And that guy goes, hey, calm yourself, man. Slow down. Let's think about this for a minute. I know we heard the stories through the gate. I know they were talking about stuff and how, how people are hungry. But, man, they've got gardens in there, and they had stores in there. It's not been that long. It's not, it's not that bad. But it was. In fact, I'm going to get a little dark here. But in the chapter before that, the king is walking on the wall. These walls are pretty big. Remember, they're, they're a good size. You can, you can ride horses around there and carts around there, and people lived inside the walls. It, they're big. He's walking, and he's depressed, and he, he's, you know, just mulling things over. He's mad at the prophet. He's mad at God. He's just mad and angry. Two women approach him, and they have a problem, and it's a serious problem. It's a difficult problem. Because they had decided they were so hungry, they decided to eat their own babies. Now you may say to me, Gary, do you really believe that? Yes, I do. I do. And they killed one and they ate it. They got hungry again and the one that had sacrificed her baby came to the other one whose baby was still alive and goes, okay, it's your turn now. And she had a mother's heart, and she said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not that hungry yet. I'm not going to do it. So the other one got angry and came to the king, and here's what the king is dealing with. Can you imagine? I was teaching the book of Ezekiel in Ukraine last year. Uh, in fact, I'm going to Armenia uh, the end of this month to teach it. And uh, 
And, the, and Ezekiel talks about cannibalism and how things get bad and the judgment of God. And I was talking about that, and I said, you know, we really don't understand that. And one of the men there who's a lawyer in the class, he piped up, his English is very good, and he says, you don't know Ukrainian culture. I said, what are you talking about? 1933 and 1934, the Soviet Union, the army, the Russians basically, invaded, went into Ukraine and took all the food because Ukrainians had risen up against them, made them angry. They would literally, according to his story, and if you look at it, there's, you can Google this, they literally would go into the homes as the people were eating and take all the food. They would go into their pantries and take all the food. They would go into their farm buildings and take all the grain and the hay. They stole all the food. And the people got hungry and they started eating. Mostly they're dead. Now I know that's dark. I get it. And we think there can't be anything worse than that, but there is. It's called hell. The lake of fire. We don't hear much about hell anymore in our churches. People don't want to hear this. We can't wrap our human brains around how bad hell is going to be for the lost. I wish, I really do, and I've said this many times in the past, I wish we could go visit for, it wouldn't take long, just like that, snap of a finger, just go down, come back. I guarantee you we would have no problem with the Sunday night service. It would be packed. Things would change. You know what our problem is? We're we're saying that. In our hearts and our minds, we're saying it's not Gary... God's loving God. And this is, a, this, is a, this is a message that even quote-unquote Baptist preachers are preaching now. Here in Missouri, I know of one. God won't send anyone to hell. It's all about the love of Jesus. It's called universalism. Run Away from it as fast and as far as you can because it's straight from the pit of hell. There's a heaven, there's a hell. You go to heaven when Jesus enters into your heart and the only way He's going to do that is if you invite Him in. He never forces Himself through the door. If you don't do that, and you die in that state, you're going to spend eternity in an everlasting lake of fire where you don't, the fire doesn't consume you, but you feel it, and you'll have all that feelings, and you'll have the memory. You will remember this message. You will remember all of the times that your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your friend told you about the gospel. You will have that memory for eternity. It's worse than we can imagine. Then finally, they could have said, we'll go tomorrow. We'll wait until tomorrow. And in fact, I think one of them did say that because 
of what, what they said. If we wait, if we tarry, if we hang around here and rest, something might happen to us. I think they were thinking the Syrians might figure out that there wasn't a host from the north or the south and they would come back to get their stuff and return to the siege. Remember, there are also unhealthy men. They might, might think, well, you know what, we might die in the night. Uh, let me tell you something. There are, a few things, there are things that money can't buy, and one of them is your time to die. You don't know. I celebrated a cu- last month 14 years from the time that I was diagnosed with fourth-stage cancer of the nerve. Very rare. It was a Mayo Clinic, spent what, six months, seven months, in and out of Mayo Clinic, seven, eight months? Yeah, Jeannie would know, my wife. Glad to have her today. Thank you for allowing her to be here. She rarely gets to hear me preach, and she so longs to hear me preach. (laughs) How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. She goes, oh, man, I got to hear you twice? And I, in fact, it was... I was so close to death that, and I found this later, that my wife chose what dress she was going to wear to my funeral. Now, that's a typical woman. The man's dying. What am I going to wear to, her, to his funeral? What do I got? Do I need to go shopping for this? What's the funeral fashion? What's going to happen here? I asked my dad, I said, Dad, can you think you could do my funeral? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's, that's no problem. <laughs> think about it a little bit. You're your you're oldest son. No, nah, that's, that's no problem. I walked, I have three kids. I walked every one of them down by themselves down the hall with my little thing, you know, and the, the hospital gown that was covered up in the back. And I told them how much I loved them and, and what I appreciated about them and things that I would like to see change from Evan. I did all of that. I thought I was going to die. I didn't think I was going to leave Minnesota standing up. But I did, and I'm here. I'm not a spirit. I'm real. And God healed me. What I'm telling you is you don't know what's happening tomorrow. Or the next day. We can plan, and we certainly should, assume that we're going to be okay, but you don't know. Something might happen. So the going needs to happen now. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? New job, raise, kids to be out of the house. We've got a 31 year old, she's still there. So if you've got older kids, don't count on it. Well, they'll get married. They'll still be there. (laughs) Prophecy came true. Remember that guy that sarcastic, if the the windows of heaven open up, this might happen? Remember that guy? Prophet said, you're going to see it, but you're not going to participate in it. You're not going to eat any of the food. Well, he was in the middle of the gate. What a dumb guy. He didn't believe the word of God that came through the man of God. And the rush of the starving to get to the food trampled him to death. 
Now this story is not about him. It's not about the lepers. It's not about the prophet. It's not about the king. It's about God and his word. And he has given us the responsibility to go and he wants us to do it now, not tomorrow. So whatever God's laid upon your heart to do, when it comes to the great commission and the great commandment, we need to do it today. Would you bow your heads, please? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite the pastor to take the rest of the service. Heavenly Father, um, <clears throat> what most unlikely, unlikely heroes, men who have been pushed out of society, And yet you chose to use them. And they did what they were supposed to do. They had a moment of selfishness, but they figured it out. And they went and told the king. And they did their job, and then eventually the people figured it out and found food. God, we have your word. We have Jesus, the bread of life. And we need to share it with the world. And we need to do it now because I believe our time is running really, really short. I think, God, I think your, your patience and your mercy and grace is... Long-suffering is towards the end here. And we have a responsibility, a job, a serious job to do. And I pray that this week, this church, these people will respond to the missionaries, to their heart, to the hearts of the missionary wives and the missionary kids. They'll respond in a way that is being led by the Holy Spirit. And they'll give They'll surrender, they'll go, they'll obey as a church and as individuals. And if there's someone here without Christ, would you guide them to yourself? Would you bring them to yourself? Would you uh, give us an opportunity to share the gospel with them and help them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? In whose name I pray, amen.